Let's take a moment in prayer before we have the message today. Lord God, I prayed that this message this morning be your words, your intention, and your will. I pray for the Holy Spirit to work in and through us to convict and encourage us all to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're beginning a series, Joy in Times of Trouble. And let's face it, everywhere you look, really, everywhere you look nowadays, you're going to find trouble in the headlines. Headline after headline after headline is about trouble, and it kind of beats you down after a while, doesn't it? I mean, there's about the virus and the death toll and everything that's going on in Arizona, which is very concerning, isn't it? But again, that headline after headline kind of beats you down. And the whole arguments that have been going on about masks or not masks and governments that are either too strict or too lax. And then, of course, there are the protests and the, the, the race relationships and systemic racism and white privilege and anarchy and protest and this and that and everything after a while just kind of beats you down. And then let's put on top of that, we have one of the largest fires going on in Arizona right now. Oh, and do you remember the, the hornets, right? The, the murdering hornets. You're almost wondering what's going to happen next. And when you drink too deeply from all of these headlines, it can lead you into despair, bitterness, even hatred, right? Just uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was having a conversation with a young woman, and uh, we were talking about uh, the protest and everything else that was going on. Uh, and, uh, you know, we had some areas of agreement, but we also had some areas of pretty wide disagreement, but it was a very civil conversation. Yet at the end of that conversation, I just felt compelled to tell this young woman not to deep drink deeply from that cup of anger and bitterness. Because when you drink deeply from that, it infects and affects your whole life and it corrodes your life. It corrodes all of the relationships you have in your life and it will rob you of joy. But even more than that, even more than just robbing you of that joy, all of these different worldviews, these different points, these different things that are going on in our nation right now today, they want to take you in and say, you must, you must accept our worldview. You must put on what we believe is most important first. And when you do that, no matter what side you're on, when you do that, you actually lose what is most important. You lose your relationship of Christ Jesus being preeminent in your life. Oh, sure. I mean, you can take on whatever side you want, whatever side you want. And by the way, these are important issues that we are dealing with in our country. I mean, there's nothing light about it at all. But whatever side you want, you can 
take some Christian speak, so to speak, and put it into that side or put it into this side. Or you can even shoehorn verses, scripture verses to support your side. But what happens is that worldview becomes primary and Christ becomes secondary or even tertiary, third place. And when you lose Christ as being preeminent in your life, you lose joy. So this morning, we are going to talk about joy in times of trouble and specifically through Paul's letter to the Philippians. This morning, our roadmap is this. We are going to be focusing on thankfulness. It is thankfulness in Christ, for Christ, and of Christ. Those are the three things we're going to take a look at regarding thankfulness this morning. So let's begin. Thankfulness in Christ. And we go to our scripture reading. Philippians chapter 1. Starting with verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the focus that Paul has in just the opening of his letter to the Philippians. It is all about Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is mentioned three times. He says, that he is a servant of Christ Jesus, that you are in Christ Jesus, and because you're in Christ Jesus, you are a saint. And then it says we have peace with the Father because of Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus is at the forefront for Paul and his life. Jesus is never an afterthought. It is always up front in what he communicates. So in the very opening of Paul's letter, we can get this, that Paul's identity, that your identity as a saint, and the blessing we have in that identity is all found in Christ Jesus. Just in his opening, that we find out the preeminence of Jesus. And you're going to find this throughout our study here in, in Philippians, because we're actually going to go through the whole book of Philippians. We are going to drink deeply from this book, and it is very rich. It is one of my favorite New Testament letters. So you're going to find this idea of identity played out throughout. So he goes on here. Verse 3, it says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Look, this letter practically gushes over with thankfulness. And it's pretty amazing when you think about it, given the circumstances that Paul is in. You see, Paul wrote this letter, we believe, from prison. We believe that he was in prison in Rome. So he was in chains. He was in captivity. And yet, he's writing about thankfulness even from prison. And what's more astounding is he's writing about thankfulness for that church in Philippi. Now, why is that particularly astounding? Well, there's some things about Philippi that you might not know uh, if you haven't 
studied much Paul's letter to the Philippians, but specifically, go back to Acts chapter 16. I would encourage you to take a look at Acts Acts chapter 16. It talks about the founding of the church in Philippi. So Paul and Silas were on this uh, missionary trip. Paul receives a vision to go to Macedonia, Philippi's in Macedonia. So they go there. And one of the great things is they meet this woman named Lydia. And she is moved by God through Paul's words. And she comes to faith, she and her household. And that's beautiful, isn't it? So it starts off really well. But then there's this demon-possessed, spirit-possessed slave girl that keeps following Paul and Silas around. Uh, It says this, she followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And the spirit left her. Now, you would think this would be good news, and it was, but the owner of this slave girl and this slave girl now who had no ability to all do all this divinate, uh, foretelling of what's going on. Sorry, I couldn't get out that word. Foretelling of what's going on. He was losing money. So he brought them before the magistrates, the police, and it turned out that the crowd beat them with rods. So thick sticks, and they were beating them. Now, look, You see in a lot of times movies that the hero gets beaten with a stick and then just kind of gets up and it's no big deal. No. If you've seen any of the protests, the riots, how people are getting hit, you know that they go down and that they are severely injured. They're beaten. And then they're put in jail. But rather than have a woe is me attitude, they are praying together. And at midnight, they're praying. But at midnight, there's also this earthquake, huge earthquake, a God-ordained earthquake. And uh, all the cells open up. Bonds are released. The jailer thinks he's going to be killed because now the prisoner is going to escape. But they cry out, no, don't kill yourself. And so the jailer that night actually comes to faith and his whole household. And the next day, they're actually released. This is the beginning of the church in Philippi. There is definitely blessings, but he was beaten. So now, years later, Paul's in prison, and he's writing this letter. By the way, we also believe that Paul was beheaded, and that's how his life was ended. So he is there writing this letter to them. And he doesn't recall the hardships. Rather, he recalls with thankfulness what occurred. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Look, Paul is giving a prayer, a letter of thankfulness because of his remembrance of the joy that they had in the gospel. The joy in the partnership of the gospel. 
Look, I've said it time and time again, and I will continue saying it. It is the gospel that binds us together. It is the gospel that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. And it is the purpose of the gospel that controls us, that compels us to go out and share together, especially in a world where there is no light, especially in a world where there is simply darkness. And Paul is filled with joy because of this partnership. Now, that word partnership, by the way, here can also be translated fellowship. And this is what we covered last week. It is fellowship, a deep-seated fellowship together in the gospel. And it is that fellowship that makes the church the church. You see, it is this. Fellowship in the church flourishes where there is a common goal or purpose in the gospel. I can't emphasize this any more than perhaps just saying it again. Fellowship in the church flourishes where there is a common goal or purpose in the gospel. You want to see a live church? Find people in fellowship with the gospel. See, I've told you this a number of times too, and I again will continue to tell you. There have been so many times in my Christian walk when you get discouraged, right? We're all human. You get discouraged. You get down in the dumps. And then God places people in your path, sometimes literally, people in your path who are brothers and sisters together in the gospel. And it's their encouragement that has lifted me up it is their encouragement that has me continue on. Without their fellowship, without their partnership, I don't know, right? Christianity is never to be a solo, solo type of faith. And so like Paul, I remember and am so thankful for all those people in my life, brothers and sisters together for the gospel. I thank them. I love them. I'm so appreciative of them so many times. I'm hoping that you have a brother or sister in Christ Jesus together in the gospel who lifts you up in that manner, who stands firm with you no matter the circumstances. So Paul, writing in prison, says, I remember you with thanksgiving. Now that is thankfulness. We also have thankfulness in Christ and for Christ. Verse 6 and 7, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will, be, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You know, Philippians has a lot of verses that are really well known, and sometimes they are memory verses for people. Verse 6 is one of these. For, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's an encouraging verse, isn't it? 
They just lift one up. What I want you to consider, though, that the focus, though it is for your encouragement, the focus really isn't on you. It is on God. The focus here is really about God's sovereignty, who is the author of all things good. See, it is God who starts, who plans the work. It is God who starts the work. It is God who finishes the work. And this should be assurance for us because you and I, left to ourselves, we might think about a work. Sometimes we start a work. Sometimes we finish work. But we are so inconsistent with all of that. But here's Paul saying he is sure that God who started the work will finish the work. If you uh, want to go in your Bibles, bookmark this, Isaiah chapter 55, starting with verse 8. Actually, the whole chapter 55 is great, but I'm just going to start with verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes out from my mouth it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that for which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. This is the assurance that Paul is writing about. In God, we have the assurance that he is keeping his word, that he is fulfilling his promises, even if we falter. In God, we have the promise that he will both preserve and persevere. <clears throat> so the Bible tells us a number of things about God who will keep his promise, who will preserve and persevere. Now, if you've got the sermon notes and the sermon notes are on the website, you can go in there and under sermons, there are sermon notes. Uh, I gave you a number of um, references to look up if you so desire. But I'm just going to go through a couple of them about God's perseverance and his promises. The Bible tells us that in God, there's a faithfulness that will never be removed, a life that will never end, a spring of water that will never cease to bubble up within the one who drinks of it, a gift that will never be lost, a hand out of which the good shepherd sheep shall never be snatched, a love from which we shall never be separated, a foundation that will never be destroyed, and an inheritance that will never fade out. What God has started, he will complete, and you can have that assurance. And all of this is done because of God's grace. Verse 7 says, it is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. 
You see, by his grace, we are sustained and given life no matter the circumstances. Whether you're rich or poor, educated or not educated, of great status or of no status, that you are given his grace and he will complete his work of grace in you. All because of Christ Jesus. The grace we find in Jesus, right? Because of what Christ has done for us who lived a sinless life, who went to the cross, who suffered, died, was buried, and rose again. So we have thankfulness because of what Christ has done. Thankfulness for Christ. We also have thankfulness of Christ. So let's continue here. Verse 8 through 11. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I don't know how many of you uh, know the poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning. I'm going to guess not many people know of her, but she wrote a very famous poem, of which I bet you know at least the first part of a line anyway. So here's the first four lines. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee, love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight for the ends of being and ideal grace. Now, again, you might not know her, but I bet you know that first part, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. Now, Paul's letter is not the poetry of Elizabeth Barrett Browning. But I would say it is greater than whatever she wrote. Because his letter is about the love that he has for them and the love he has for them of Christ Jesus. He says this, for as God is my witness. Now look, there are a lot of people say, for as God is my witness. You know, you see this on TV shows a lot, but you also see this in real life where, where people are saying, as God is my witness, and you already know that they're not using God as their witness. They are using God as a scapegoat, so to speak, as a way to lie. But Paul does not trifle with God. He is saying, for God is my witness, God who does not lie, God who is holy and just, God knows my heart. And my heart is filled with love for you. You see, Paul desires this. He's, Paul's desire is that it should be they. Paul's desire is that they grow in the depth and breadth of love. That's his desire. His heartfelt desire is that they grow in love. 
that their love may abound more and more. But he's not talking simply about a feeling of love, is he? He's not saying, oh, I hope you just feel love more and more and more. No, it's specifically this. It is a love that is shaped by the mind. That their minds may be filled with ever greater knowledge and discernment. Now, wait a minute. You might say that their minds might be filled with knowledge and discernment. That doesn't sound very loving, does it? I mean, you compare, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways versus Paul saying, I want your mind to be filled with discernment and knowledge. I mean, if you were an editor of poetry, you'd come back to Paul and say, hold on, that's not what the people want. You got to give them some more lovey-dovey, some more gooey stuff. But that's not the intention. And that's not the true love that God talks about, of which Paul writes about. You'd say, you don't understand. Look, when you love someone, you want to know, know them intimately. You want to know their heart's desire. And when you know them and their heart's desire, then you do things according to their heart's desire, right? This is where love comes in and the knowledge of who you love. Paul also wrote this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, Paul wants their love to abound in the knowledge of what is excellent and pure and blameless. And where do you find what is excellent and pure and blameless? You find it in Christ Jesus. There's nowhere else to look to find what is pure and excellent and blameless. Paul says, I want you to be filled with that. I want you to be filled with Christ Jesus. And the more and more you desire what God desires, that your heart is filled with the desires of Christ, the more you will just want to do what Christ wants you to do. And the more you distaste what Christ distastes. All to God's glory, right? So Paul says, I want you to be filled with that. How do I love thee? I love you to the depth and breadth of Christ Jesus so that you know him fully. Man, wouldn't it be wonderful if preachers and churches focused on Christ Jesus and having the people be filled their knowledge, their mind, be filled with that. To be conformed into the image of Christ. Would all pastors, preachers, and churches do that? So many ills of this world would be taken care of. I firmly believe that. Now, it's kind of interesting. I was having a conversation uh, just last week with somebody about their church's denomination. And this church denomination has gone so far astray that I literally, with good reason, no longer call this denomination to be Christian. 
And this person had contacted me because they, they, the Holy Spirit was working in them. And so we had a really good conversation uh, about what the denomination believes, why I believe it's not uh, Christian, and that they really should look for a church that is Bible-based and Christ-centered. And so I sent him some information about, you know, some questions to think about in looking for a church. Uh, and then they uh, sent me a, a follow-up email and uh, said, well, what about this particular church? Now, this particular church is uh, one of the mega churches in Minnesota. I'm familiar with it. I've actually attended a couple of their services. I've listened to some of the messages online. And uh, this particular church really is more man-focused, not Christ-focused. Now, it might look that way on their website, but what they do is much more man-focused. What do I mean by that? So if you listen to their messages, their messages tend to be more motivational, uh, life coaching, you know, self-improvement type messages. And I, I told this person, I said, uh, you know, that's probably why it's popular because it's about people improving their lives. And I said, you might very well uh, grow as a person there because the teaching wasn't bad, you might grow as a person, but I don't think you'll grow as a follower of Christ. I said that with a little trepidation, but I was so pleased that uh, the person emailed me back said, yeah, I was kind of thinking the same thing. And then get this, it says, it brought to mind a devotion they had just read that morning. And the devotion was this, we ought to be focused less on becoming a better version of ourselves and more on becoming a better reflection of Jesus. And I wrote back, perfect. I couldn't have said it better. The only one who said it better is Paul. Paul said it better. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What a, a letter of joy. What a letter of love. What a letter of thankfulness. It's a bold letter. It's a wonderful letter. And I'm really glad that we are going to be studying and working our way through it. The joy and thankfulness found in Christ Jesus, from Christ Jesus, and of Christ Jesus. So a couple things this morning for you as you go about your week. If you are in despair, taking a look at all the headlines, lacking that joy, trying to be swayed about what to follow, what worldview, I would encourage you to look to Jesus and find first your identity in him. And then... Rest in the assurance of God's promises that come from Jesus. Look up some of those scripture verses I read. Renew your mind in the knowledge of his promises and trust that he who began a good work will complete it. And fill your mind with the knowledge and discernment of Jesus if you have never read through Philippians, I would encourage you, read through Philippians. 
If you've never read any of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, I would encourage you to read them. If you have a shorter attention span, start with the Gospel of Mark, 16 chapters, very short. You can get through it pretty quickly. But let that soak in. And you will be renewed in thankfulness and in joy. And for that, we give thanks and praise, don't we? And we say amen and hallelujah.